Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Television Archive. The show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Fringe. Today we will be discussing Season 4, Episode 11, titled Making Angels. God, I... I love this episode so much. It is so incredible, so magnificent, just completely goddamn perfect in every single way. This episode, it is easily the best of season four. No question. Like, that's not up for debate. And I would say it's absolutely one of the best of the entire series. Like, it's definitely at least top five possibly even top three material. Like, I'd say the top three episodes, in no particular order, are Peter, the flashback episode, uh, the finale, which we'll talk about in, like, a month or so, and and maybe this one. It's either this or 6B. You know what? I think it's this one. Anyway, this episode's incredible. That's the point I'm trying to make here. This episode is just complete and utter perfection, and I love literally every single thing about it. So, what I want to talk about first with this episode is the Herculean role that Astrid plays in this episode. Both Astrids. Uh, at the beginning of this episode, alternate Astrid creates her own security clearance against uh, Fringe Division's orders, like, without being directed, creates her own security clearance to cross through the bridge, crosses to our universe, and visits the lab. All with the purpose of Astrid. All with the purpose of talking to our Astrid. And, my God, Jessica Nicole. I don't talk about how good Jessica Nicole is uh, in this show nearly often enough. Uh, But she's very, very good just in general, just in every episode of Fringe. In this episode, she is goddamn incredible. Like, the fact that she did not get, at the very least, an Emmy nomination... For this episode is a crime for which someone should go to jail. Like, just flat out, she does such a good job in this thing. Uh, Does such an amazing, just does such amazing work, like, playing off of herself, uh, creating this dynamic between the two Astrids. Of course, she's always great as alternate Astrid, who... I think Astrid, I've talked about this before, but Astrid's the one character where her alternate's more interesting (laughs) than her. (laughs) Her alternate, alternate Astrid is a much more interesting character than our Astrid. That's, that's the one character in which that is the case. Uh, And it's not like either our character's better or it's on par like everyone else. Uh, But 
all the mannerisms, uh, the way she beautifully, 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 beautifully uh, portrays someone with autism, uh, portrays this case of this woman being, like, emotionally distant, but not without emotions, and also being a bit of that human-computer stuff, and how she brings that to life is so absolutely fantastic. As someone who does have autism, I approve. And, of, of course, our Astrid, with her general, like, caring nature, I always like to call Astrid Walter's disappointed mom. <laughs> Uh, simply because she does have, like, this big, caring, maternal, almost maternal instinct to her. And the way she sort of takes alternate Astrid under her wing and, like, has compassion for her and sort of deals with this, these issues she's having in the wake of, I haven't even mentioned this, she's over here because her father died. She came over to our universe to talk to our Astrid because uh, her father died and she's having a rough time of it because, of course, I mean, this is someone who, like, on a good day, has sort of trouble processing emotions. Again, like, this is... I, I I know. I know the inner workings of the autistic brain. I I have lived that. Like on a good day, the autistic brain has trouble processing social stuff, has trouble processing the emotional side of things. And so when you get like such a massive barrage of Sadness and pain and grief, such as father dead, like that can be an atom bomb where you just don't know what to do with yourself more so than the average person because you have this horrible grief and you also like just don't know how to really express it the way quote unquote normal people do. Like, I've gone through this whole song and dance, uh, not in the specific way that Alternate Astrid portrays in this episode, but in certain adjacent ways. Uh, and so, seeing Alternate Astrid express that, seeing how Astrid is caring for her in this time, like, it's just, God, Jessica Nicole is, is an underrated legend when it comes to Fringe, and this episode really proves why. Like, she is... So, so good in both of these roles. And this is her, like, this is the crowning achievement of her entire career. <laughs> like, quite honestly, is this episode. But I love the conversations that we have between the two Astrids. Uh, we have all of these great moments where, like, alternate Astrid is asking our Astrid questions. Like, alternate Astrid will break out her, like, human computer bit or notice something that our Astrid doesn't, and our Astrid's just like, oh my god. <laughs> like, you could tell our Astrid's just, like, shocked at what her double can do. Uh, the moment where 
our Astrid, like, gives alternate Astrid coffee for the first time is spectacular. It's just a beautiful, sweet moment. Uh, And, of course, all the scenes where they're talking about their fathers. Alternate Astrid's talking about how her father sort of struggled to figure out how to deal with her given her autism given how like emotionally distant she was and he kind of never really was able to figure out the proper way to deal with her never really figured out the proper way to like figure her out and understand her which absolutely sucks and alternate Astrid going on all these monologues about this and and how like she says at one point like would would he have loved me more if I was like you if I was normal um and our Astrid eventually is just like hey listen don't don't regret being what you are like that's something no one can change don't even go down that road um, and at one point, Astrid says what we eventually learned to be a sweet, sweet lie of like, you know, my father, uh, he's emotionally distant too. He doesn't really, uh, he doesn't really express himself very well. He's a very complicated man and all that. And we eventually realized, no, that is in no way the case. Uh, her father is very very close to her and very much loves her in a way that from what alternate astrid is saying he never really her father never really expressed with her but like all of that all of the moments with the two astrids are great i also i do kind of love how walter immediately likes alternate astrid more <laughs> He immediately likes her more than our Astrid. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's absolutely wonderful. Uh, the moment where Walter just flat out calls alternate Astrid by her real name and not just some made up whatever like Astro or Asteroid or whatever. And Astrid's just like, really? You get her name right? Like, I I do kind of, I know Jessica Nicole isn't a fan of that name joke. I know she has problems with it, and I get it. Like, uh, she's talked about how, unfortunately, people get her name wrong a lot, and a lot of people are maliciously getting it wrong, uh, and how, like, th- it, it, that was an unfortunate coincidence with a joke surrounding her character looking a little bit too close to something she's experienced in her life that has not been in good spirits at all. Like, I I totally get that frustration. I don't agree with her criticisms of it creatively, but I totally understand where the frustration comes from, and, like, those feelings are absolutely valid. That being said, the moment when Walter just totally reveals that, like, I mean, I'll I'll call her by her real name. <laughs> that is genuinely funny. That is a genuinely funny where they just take this entire running joke and just find a new way to make you laugh at it. 
find a new way to make you laugh about it. Like it's just, it's a, it's a fun moment. It's, it's a, it's a fun moment. But again, understand why Jessica Nicole does not view it as a fun, innocent running joke. Totally get it. Like I'm not gonna try and say that her feelings are quote unquote wrong. I'm, I'm just, I, I, I view it differently. I, I view it differently. That is different. She has her own experiences. I have mine. Blah, 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 blah. All emotions are valid. This only gets better when Folivia arrives to bring Alternate Astrid back and then just gets sucked in, in into this case along with Alternate Astrid and all that. And, and then just get and then it just stays to work this case that we'll get to in a minute. And the amount of bad blood that is getting worked out between Folivia and Walter in this moment, because Walter's still pissed about the whole Folivia taking Olivia's place thing, still pissed about the whole kidnapped to the other side thing. And so this entire episode, he's just like... (laughs) Doing all this passive aggressive stuff, denying her licorice, uh, <laughs> and just being an asshole. And Olivia is just like constantly pushing on his pressure points, going, "Come on, admit it, you like me. Uh, <laughs> admit it, you're mad because you liked having me around." Uh, <laughs> and he's just like constantly poking and prodding at him, uh, and eventually, somehow. This, uh, <laughs> this results in them, like, making up and resolving their differences. Folivia, like, shows this mysterious cube that Walter's been trying to figure out. This spy tech was actually just a box of candy. <laughs> oh, I, I love that. That, that is also great. Also... There is a, another incredible subplot where Walter starts to kind of, like, he's still harboring some resentment for Peter. Because he's just like, he's not the actually my son. He's my son from another timeline. And he's reminding me of the son I lost. And blah, blah, blah. And is getting, like, very, very annoyed at every little thing he does. And at one point, Alternate Astrid has this great moment with Walter where... Man, weird how the autistic person who is emotionally distanced and doesn't really express emotions in the way that uh, that normal people do, in the way that uh, is traditionally considered standard, uh, understands Walter's emotions better than he does. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. I love this therapy session that Alternate Astrid holds with Walter of just like, I I find that uh, people who harbor this anger, actu- this type of anger, also have like an emotional ties. Do you love your son? And all that. It's like, and Walter gives a whole spiel of like, I should, th- th- he reminds me of the son I lost, blah, 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 blah. And Alternate Astrid was like, wouldn't it be better if you chose to believe he is your son so you could be happy? And, like, you could see on Walter's face, he's just doing the whole, grumble, grumble, grumble. Like, just, it's weird to see, like, 
the most emotionally distanced person on this show be the most in touch with Walter's emotions. It's great. It's absolutely, I love this. Everything, all the alternate action stuff, it's beautiful, it's sweet, it's wonderful. That on its own makes this episode god tier. That on its own makes this episode absolutely incredible. And if that was it, if that was all it was, I would love it. But they also throw in this equally magnificent friend case of this guy killing people before they can, like, suffer horrible, horrible life events. Uh, just sparing them lifetimes of pain in his eyes. Uh, using this spray and making them cry blood and all that. And it's so, so good. Uh, I should say also, uh, the guy who plays this man, uh, killing people before they can suffer, his name is Chin Han. Uh, he is best known for playing Lao in The Dark Knight since that movie came out. In the decade plus since that movie came out, he has become a fairly prolific character actor. This is, I think, his best performance. Uh, I loved him in this. He is spectacular. Uh... He was absolutely brilliant and a phenomenal, phenomenal guest star. Uh, but all the scenes where he's going up to these random people and telling them how their lives are going to be terrible before he kills them. Uh, the scene with the guy on the bus stop. Uh, the dude who has this 95% survival rate cancer and going, you are the other 5% and describing his futile battle with cancer uh, the woman who's struggling with alcoholism. And Chin Han's like, you're putting up a good fight, but you're going to lose. You're going to be put on a path of self-destruction that destroys those around you. Uh, your boyfriend will be killed in a car accident with you behind the wheel. Your, your brother will alienate uh, his wife and children uh, trying to help you, destroy his life trying to help you. Uh, and... The guy in the parking garage who's on his phone and the dude's like, you will uh, flip over. Your your car will crash because you're on the phone. You won't be able to respond as quickly as you are supposed to because you only have one hand on the wheel. And you'll become a paraplegic and you'll be put in a group home. And uh, the man who runs it is not kind and will kill you. Uh, like, all those moments are fantastic. All those moments are incredible. Uh, it's so, so freaking great, and Shin Han does such a great job. But Fringe Division, this entire time, with the help of Alt-Astrid and with the help of Olivia, uh, are investigating this, investigating this. Uh, we're examining this chemical compound that shouldn't work, like, at all. Uh, it's basically... It's basically the type of thing where you have to... You have to know the chemical mixture would work before you even try it. Like, that's how... That's how unlikely it is. Alternate Astrid has that whole great deus ex machina uh, monologue. God or godlike powers. And eventually, we're sort of not really finding anything, not really finding anything, not really finding anything, until we find one man who has survived... And then we figure out his M.O. And then we figure out what the hell's going on. 
by the way, the one man who survived, this was the guy who was going to become a paraplegic. Uh, he got away, he ran away, got hit by a car, and became paralyzed anyway. And just died anyway. Or rather, just got put on the path to his eventual gruesome death anyway. The very thing that Chin Han was trying to save him from. But we find out that all of these people... We find out via alternate Astrid that all of these people were at an airport recently and all got stamped by the same TSA agent. So we're going after this TSA agent. We get this great instance of searching the airport for this guy, chasing after Chin Han, and then he walks, like, behind security lines, and then the TSA just prevents Olivia and Peter from catching up to this dude. Uh, so we're looking into this guy, looking into this guy, looking into this guy. We find out he is was he was a former professor at MIT, I believe it was, who, after a summer away at his lake house in Raiden Lake, so that's what we're dealing with here, uh, came back and started messing around with these equations that no one could make heads or tails of. And he basically was insisting that if he were to solve the equations, he would be able to flatten time. So that past, present, and future were all happening simultaneously. He could perceive time all at once. Have that, like, fifth-dimensional thinking. Have that fifth-dimensional perception of time. Now, this sounds a hell of a lot like what we know of the Observers, as Peter points out. And Raiden Lake, that is where uh, our guy, our Observer, who, by the way, is finally named in this episode. I can finally call him September. Thank God. Uh, I... I have been racking my brain, like, trying not to say the name September, trying not to say the name September, trying not to say the name September, uh, talking around that name, saying The Observer, or Our Guy, or whatever. Like, thank God I can say September. But anyway, this is where September saved Peter in the original timeline, but didn't save him this time. Uh, Failed to save him in this alternate timeline. So, maybe this is some observer action. And this, by the way, would explain how we know uh, how to create this chemical mixture, because he would have seen into the future where the chemical mixture worked, the chemical compound worked. And evidently, this equation succeeded, he solved it, and he was able to flatten time. So we search this Raiden Lake house, we see all these equations... Uh, we see a newspaper clipping that reveals that his twin brother and his father died in a car crash. And we also see these photos of all these savior figures because he thinks he's a full-blown savior. We also find out he is very, 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 very religious. But we're eventually able to track him back to his mother's house. 
And this sequence, this final confrontation sequence at his mother's house is incredible. Is absolutely goddamn fantastic. And... Like, we get this moment where uh, he puts this, like, rod thing that he's been using to identify certain people who are going to suffer, blah, 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 in this safe. He gets a gun, goes down and speaks to his mother, who is like, where the hell are you going? What are you doing? Uh, You said you came to say goodbye. You said you're going where you belong. That's not an answer. That's not an answer. And then Chin Han has this incredible monologue that I think defines his entire career, where... He just says to his mother, I heard you that night. You were saying that God took the wrong one. Why did you take my, uh, why did you take my boy? Why did you take my angel? Blah, 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 blah. You always resented that I wasn't my brother. And he starts talking, and you could see the look on his mother's face, and she's, like, just saying, you shouldn't have heard that, you shouldn't have heard that, that was horrible, you shouldn't have heard that. And he's just like, no, no, I'm glad I heard it. That pushed me to be better, and that's how I got to this point. I found something, uh, and now I can save people, and now I uh, know everything that's gonna happen, I know all of time, and... Now I can save people. Now I can become an angel. And uh, he starts talking about how, like, Jesus knew the Romans were coming. He could have easily gotten away. He could have easily fought back, but he didn't uh, because he trusted that God had a plan. This is the moment where Olivia and Peter start knocking down uh, this dude's door. And eventually, like, they have him at gunpoint. And he's like, uh, I... I can become an angel now. I'll see you in heaven. Turns around. Shoots his gun at the window. Olivia shoots him. He's dead now. And we eventually are able to put two and two together and say, like, he basically did suicide by cop. Uh, He knew he was going to die, so he just allowed it to happen. And because he was religious, uh, committing suicide would not have allowed him to get into heaven. So he had, he set up a situation where... Olivia would kill him. So that has resolved itself. We're good. No loose ends hanging here, right? Well, that night, the obser- uh, an observer, I shouldn't say the observer, a couple of observers actually, go into this woman's house, the mother's house, get into the safe, and they're like, yes, this rod thing, it is September's. He must have dropped it. He must have lost it in 1985 when he didn't save the boy. Uh, He will be interested to know what happened to it. And then this is the moment where this one observer reports to Boss Guy. There is another development. It appears September did not follow your instructions. The boy is alive. Peter... Bishop is back. So now, the larger Observer Collective are very much aware of September's betrayal, of September not following orders and not fully erasing Peter from the timeline. 
thing. I hit the mic. I'm sorry about that. Uh, that's a thing that's going on. More on that in future episodes. But God, this episode is, it's, it's just a masterpiece. It's just an incredible, phenomenal masterpiece that I love in every possible way. And it's just, it's perfect. It's absolute perfection. It's a perfect hour of television. I love it so much. It is one of the defining moments of this entire series. Quite honestly, it's, it's so, so, so freaking good. Anyway, uh, if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives, so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows, and you can find it on pretty much whatever podcast app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's simplest just to push up a button on the Anchor app. I'll play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, TomTom4468. And support the show, patreon.com slash thomasclark, pledges a dollar a month. I appreciate everything you get through there. If you become a patron, you can also get access to the Television Archive Supplemental, which I will be putting up there once every month. Or, if that's not work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Tomorrow we will be discussing Season 4, Episode 12. Talk to you then.